Glory to God. Amen. God is what? All the time he's good. Amen. Y'all just y'all look good. Did y'all get enough to eat this week? You can be seated. Praise the Lord. Everyone enjoy their carb free Thanksgiving? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, do the best you can, right? Amen. We watched a well, I said we watched a Hallmark movie last night, about as long as I could stand it. And I looked over and she was asleep and I said, Well, if you don't need it, I, and she said, I can't. I said, This is the stupidest, goofiest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, there's, there's some that's been a lot better. I said, this is the stupidest. Hey, what's your name on there? What's, what's different? No. What was the name on? Used to play, huh? No, she used to play on Reba, you know. Uh, yeah, Barbara Jean. She thought it might be. It was just stupid. And uh, she said, I'm going to go to bed. And I said, well, if you threw I said, I'm going to turn back over and, and see if Tennessee can, or see if uh, Texas can finish off LSU, and they did. And that was a whole lot better, no matter, no matter who you was for. <laughs> it's like, this is just stupid. You know, just like people writing citations for not having Christmas ornaments up in the neighborhood. It's like, my gosh. And they was measuring the ornaments on the porch to see if they met the code because your nutcracker wasn't tall enough. Oh, that's just dumb. <laughs> Amen. But there's an audience, or they wouldn't be there, so. Glory to God. Well, good morning and welcome. We're glad to be here this morning. I'm glad to be anywhere this morning. I heard someone, um, they were 89, and they were at a, an event, and she said, well, it's good to be here tonight. She says, of course, it's actually good to be anywhere these days. Well, it's good to be here this morning. Last week, we talked about living full and living free. And uh, could have named it something else. And tonight, or this morning, we're going to, if you want to give this a title, we're going to call it Revival Now. And um, not tomorrow, and not next week, and not next year. People say, well, this ain't the time to have revival. This is the holidays. Well, it's what I told the Lord. And, uh, you know, people's attention go different ways. And, you know, if you study uh, revivals or some of the, uh, the, the awakenings that we've had in this country, uh, they came through the most unusual means and people at the most unusual times. And one is almost never like the other. And that's the reason why you see that sometimes when there was a, a revival, uh, as, as it were, that, that had great notoriety to it, after that period of time, in another part of the world, one would come. And the people who would generally criticize it was the ones who had the past revival because they said, God doesn't do it that way. That's not the way it works. You know, we know we we prayed, you know, three years and we sat in sackcloth and ashes and we did this, and that and the other. And it takes this type of music and, it, you know, and this is how and that's what, you know, in other words, they kind of had a recipe for it. And since they had revival, so certainly this is, you know, God's pattern. This is his his uh, his, his his M.O. This is how he operates. And that's not it at all. 
you know, we don't, we don't set the conditions for God just right that are favorable for him to work in. Um, the reason is, you say, well, you know, God's only going to go where things are moving. Well, that's not what Isaiah 44, 3 says. He said, I'll pour water upon him that's thirsty and floods upon dry ground. So the drier it is, <laughs> is the one who needs the most rain, right? And I will pour out my spirit, not of my spirit, but I'll pour out my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing a blessing upon thy offspring. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you want to follow along, uh, Isaiah chapter 60, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 in the NIV. And uh, last week we talked about the importance of of praying, but more explicitly praying in the Spirit. Can you say this in a Spirit-filled church? About praying in tongues? Y'all ever heard of that? Is that, is that? is that something brand new God just started? Came a ways back, right? Now, we got a whole group of people said it passed away. And um, then you have different, you know, you, you know, there's disagreement on every side about everything. Wow, there's at least four, got to be at least four different ways to make meatloaf. It's got to be. <laughs> Might be 40, I don't know. But the Lord knows what he's doing. And so Isaiah chapter 60, and I'm in the NIV, he said, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Verse 3 said, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look round about. All assemble and come to you. Your sons from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. And the wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. So we're living in a time in history, and I wouldn't say just in America, but I'm saying in the world, that if we ever needed a true revival or an awakening, which probably it would be the better term, revival has been used so much that we, we don't even know what it means anymore. It's not a series of three-day meetings that you put on your church sign that says, start a Sunday night, brother, we'll be here for four days. And people get stirred up. Well, that, that's, that's fine. That's, that, that's a special meeting. You, you, you might have evangelistic meeting and you might get a hundred or a thousand saved. And that's, that's, a, that's amazing. That's a great thing. But that's not a revival. A true revival is... It's where God does. He revives the heart of the people. He, he restores it back to a former condition. It's for the church. It's not for the lost. Evangelistic meetings is for the lost. Revival is for the church. They were at this place and now they're not. And for whatever the reason, they've become cold or indifferent to God. And we're living in a time in society where it looks like 
I said last week, it looks like the world has now evangelized the church instead of the church the world. Hard to tell the difference. That once what we grew up knowing to be wrong is now tolerable, if not okay. But see, your Bible never changed. Scripture never changed. God never changed. The Word is still the Word. And one day we'll all stand before Him and give account of that. There's no way around that. You say, well, I'm going to go with my preacher. I won't be there with you. You won't be there with me. You can't, you can't take your mama with you. And you, you can't take your best friend with you. It's just he and, you and him. And so when I say the judgment, I'm not talking about if you're born again, I'm not talking about the judgment of sin. Could be from the effects of sin. You understand there'll be people in heaven that people are shocked if they got there. Brother Hagin used to say, when you see some people was there that you didn't, you know, that you would never thought would have made it, and they'll be there, and there'll be some folks that, that you thought would make sure they're not there, then you turn around and be wondering that you made it. <laughs> well, there's only one way, right? And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ, the shed, the shed blood of our Savior and our Lord. It's, it's, he's the only way, and His way's right. And so if the church ever needed a reviving, it's now. It's absolutely now. So we got, so this, uh, I just thought, well, i just be real simple. i just call it revival now, or not revival to come, but revival now. Many have spoken, many that um, in different parts and those who I, I know and respect in ministry, that the Lord has spoken to them about these things also. And it's not that you need to hear everything from um, nationally or internationally known ministries to find out what God's doing. Sure, God still seeks by the prophet before he does anything. But he speaks to you. I believe he's igniting hearts all across this nation and the nations of the earth and begin to speak and to stir some things up, you know, it's the heart that's soft and pliable before God always. That God's easy to plant his seed in. It's like planting any seed. If you're going to grow anything, you got to, you got to have the right conditions. You got to have the right soil and the right conditions of the soil. And you can't, you can't put seeds and get a, and get a harvest in onto, onto a soil that has not, that's, that's not broken up, that you haven't removed the debris. And so when your heart is soft and pliable for God, it's easy for God to speak to you about anything he wants to speak to you. Then when others say some certain things about that, you might say, well, that's exactly what God has shown me. I was sitting there, Michelle, I had her watch it this morning, and um, I was watching this week a uh, broadcast from Andrew Womack in 2021, and Andrew was in um, um, Oklahoma City, right? And he was there. Uh, he has a niece and nephew that was part of a, they, they were doing some type of program in Oklahoma City, don't know what it was about. And him, him and Lance Walnut was, uh, Walnut was doing the meeting. And he said they had just sang the song about, you know, God is the goodness of God, you know, coming after me. And he says, I was just rejoicing. He says, what I was rejoicing about was I was seeing all the young, young, young people. And I was watching my, nep my niece and my nephew who were young, who just started ministry, but they're starting at the place that it took me 50 years to get to. And they're starting there. 
He says, and I was just enjoying the presence of the Lord. And, and he says, and all of a sudden, just all of a sudden, he said, the Lord spoke to me. He said, won't it be great? Won't it be amazing? He said, the, the, the people, some of the people that you see here in this room will one day talk to another generation about the third great awakening. And it shocked him because, you know, he's like, you know, there are, there are conditions of that. And you go over it in Chronicles, said, if my people, which are called by my name, if they'll humble themselves and pray, you know, they're seeking him and they'll turn from their wicked ways. He said, I'll heal their lamb. He says, Con conditionally, that's not if my person, but my people. In other words, there has to be, in, in his opinion, a conglomerate of people who's coming to meet that condition. And he, he said, I, I, I just don't see it. He said, I don't see it because of all the things going on in the, in the earth. All the things that you thought you would never deal with in a society that are before you now, you know, and, and, and we could list them, we could talk about them, but most of you don't have to be my age, you can be half my age. You know, if you're, if you're 25, 30 years old, you go out and fill an application somewhere and they give you like, you know, more than two genders on the application, for, you know, you know, like Mr. or Mrs. or whatever, a male, female or whatever, you know, we, we, we can't throw you into a category because you have a right to be something else. Really? I mean, I always told you, I mean, I'm sure your parents could tell you, my mother could fix that for you in a second. Amen. Well, whoever thought you'd be dealing with something like that in society? Whoever thought you'd go into a public store or a restaurant and then confused about which bathroom door that you ought to go into? Or, she, or can you send your kids in there because who, who might or may not be in there? What a time. So Andrew was just talking about some of these things. He says, I know what we're doing. I know what we're seeing on a... You know, in, in our own ministry, I know that, you know, we're touching lives. He said, but I, I would never call it a great awakening. I, w I, I would have used the word revival, a move, a move of God, a stirring, uh, a lot of things. He says, but, you know, we, we know of two great awakenings in America. One was in the 1700s, which brought about this nation. Move of God is for the purpose of God for a nation. The second great awakening would be in the 1800s, which actually produced the Civil War. God stirred the heart of people for a purpose, for a reason, because things are so way off. And in the 1800s, he stirred the hearts of people, produced a civil war, says because slavery is wrong. And it produced a war, a great awakening that produced a war. And so for every great awakening, it's because the conditions of the earth are so far gone that it looks like, like Andrew said, he said, I, I just personally believe that this, no matter what I'm seeing personally, he said, the conditions of the world is the place to where I, I, I wouldn't be shocked that the United States, as you know, it would no longer be. As a nation, we could lose it. We're at the tipping point. And so when the Lord spoke to him and he said, I, Lord, are you telling me that we're going to see in this meeting in Oklahoma City? Are you telling me we're going to see a, a great awakening? He says, no, Andrew, I didn't. I'm not saying you're going to see. I didn't, I, I didn't say you're going to see one. He said, I'm telling you, it's already begun. And that shocked him even more. It's, it's, it, it's already here. And so, you know, he, and so... He went over, if you're familiar with Ezekiel 47 over there, where you have the throne room, and you might say, and then the place of worship, and then 
the river of God comes from the temple. You remember? Then you have an angel there and he has a measuring rod. Are you familiar with it without going there? And then he, and then they would measure it. Then he said, go out another thousand cubits. First time he measured it was at the ankles. He got another thousand cubits. He says, well, what's the measurement? Now it's at the knees. Go out another thousand cubits. Then it's at the waist. Go out in another. And after a while, uh, you couldn't measure it because it was over the head and you had to swim in it. Talking about the river of God. Talking about sometime in the future, if that future is not now. And so in other words, what he was telling him, he said, just because you can't see it, Andrew, doesn't mean it's not happening because you're not looking at the ankles. You're looking, at, you're, you're looking for the waist high and above. But I'm telling you, if you're looking around, that you'll begin to see. So I'm not telling you that there will be a great awakening. I'm telling you that the condition has already been met. And I'm awakening people all over this earth. And I'm telling you, the great awakening has already begun. Well, what do we do? Well, do you want to get involved? Or do you want to be a spectator? And so... There's a part where we begin to have ankle deep, then to the knee and then to the waist before we swim. Sometimes before you have corporate revival, you might have to have a personal one. That's kind of the way it starts anyway, doesn't it? You kind of have to, the Lord didn't tell you to examine your neighbor, he told you to examine yourself. He didn't tell me to, you know, figure out Mr. Bill's life. And uh, he didn't tell me to figure out Lexi's life, although I do anyway. I mean, that's my job until she gets a little bit older. Praise the Lord. And uh, he didn't tell me to you know, figure out, you know, anyone's life. He told me to examine my own heart. He didn't tell me to judge you. He told me to judge me. Amen. Now, as a pastor, I have responsibility. You do, you, you do understand that I, I will give an account to the Lord as a pastor. James said, don't aspire to be a teacher because he said, if you're a teacher, he says, he says, in other words, when you stand before the Lord, he says, you'll have to give a great account for being a teacher. So if I'm going to have to give an account, I feel like I have a right to say a few things. Huh? If you're going to stand behind me and say, now he didn't tell me. I mean, like I always said, you know, either if I didn't tell you, it's because I didn't know. But if you tell the Lord I didn't tell you and I did, I'm going to stand right behind you and say, he's a lie. <laughs> that I'm going to ask him to pull up the film. <laughs> and I believe he has the film right there. So it's time for the church to rise and do what? It's time for the church to rise and shine. Why? Because he says there, there's gross darkness all around us. Gross darkness appears over you. He says, and when you do, when you shine, nations will come to your light. Nations. Not just your neighborhood, not just your brother-in-law, but nations will come to the brightness of your dawn. But you'll have to lift, lift up your eyes and look about you, all that assemble and come to you, and your sons will come from afar and your daughters uh, also. Well, uh, so he said the Lord is going to uh, rise upon us. So we know that we're living in a time of gross darkness. No doubt that we are. When you look around us, what do we see? Well, we see gross immorality. It's everywhere. We see godless philosophy, uh, 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 philosophy in, a, in a political system. I, I, I mean, can I have just a, just a little bit of conversation with y'all? I mean, I'm not talking about any political party, but I kind of am when I say this. I mean, gross immorality and gross philosophy in the political system does it make any sense to you to dismantle a, a, a police force? 
does that make any sense to you to disarm people and disarm, and disarm the police? I don't care where you live. De-weaponize people that they can't protect themselves. Get rid of policemen. All lives matter. That's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He, he died for all, for God so loved the world and all the races of the world. God's, God is red, yellow, black, and white. They're all precious in his sight. Amen. Now, we know what part of the world he came from. So when he was here on earth, well, we would know the pigment, the color of his skin. He, he wasn't Caucasian. You know, he wasn't African-American in that sense. He wasn't, you know, he, he didn't have red skin, had more of an olive tone, right? Who cares? I don't care what color he is. When I get to heaven, I don't care if he's black as the ace of spades and has, has yellow polka dots. I, I, I don't, I'm just going to be thrilled that I'm there. You know, you take a sixteenth of an inch off of us, you, and, and, and if no one ever met you, and if they skinned one sixteenth of an inch off of your body, they, they wouldn't, there'd be no way of knowing what color you ever was. More like Martin Luther, God's more concerned about the color and, and the condition, I mean, the, the condition of the heart that he is the color of your skin. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples if they see you loving one another. Didn't say if you talked in tongues or you could perform miracles. He said, love is how they would know it. And without love, he said, you're just a, a noisy, clinging symbol. Making no sense at all. Well, so we see... We see this, uh, the denigration of the family, racial hatred, terrorist attacks and threats, people living under delusion that can live and practice sin with no remorse and with no consequence of sowing or reaping, as if God just winks at their sin and doesn't really care anymore because grace will cover it, so God doesn't really care either. Really? Really? He doesn't care at all, right? The needle has moved. The church needs to be revived. Amen. Others live in a society feeling sometimes like there's no hope. They, they, just, they, they really feel hopeless. In other words, they're wondering, what's God's doing? Or it seems like the devil's winning. You know, and they, they wonder, why God, why is the devil winning? And the days and hours go by in which um, no one is surprised anymore about what they see or what they hear. They're almost callous to, the, to everything that they're seeing and hearing. But God has never been taken by surprise by the hour of the day. God saw this day before we was here. And so he, he warned us and he spoke to us, you know, through the Old Testament prophets. And then through Jesus himself prophesied the plan and the purpose of God. And the epistles of Paul. He talked to us about in the book of Revelation of the day that we're in, the day that we're to come. He declared with great precision and great accuracy uh, what the day would look like and what his plan was so that we would not be without hope and we would not understand that the times that we live in and that we would understand his assignment or your assignment, his purpose and your purpose. We know from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, says this, know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Timothy was talking to you about a day, another day that was coming. 
a day later than his. Well, we're in a day later than his. He says, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of themselves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. Does that fit any, any society today? Without natural affection, does that fit anyone today? Truth bakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heavy-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of from such turn away. Now, you might have thought he was talking to lost people. He couldn't be talking to the lost people if you go back and read it. He said, he said, these people, he said, they're, they have a form of godliness. Well, religion always does. Has a form of godliness. He said, in other words, they're traitors, heady, high-minded. They, they love pleasure. They seek pleasure more than they love God. Is he talking to lost people when he said they love more than they love God? When he says they have, they still have the form of godliness, is he talking to unbelievers or believers? Believers who have slipped so far away in the day that has come, perilous times. And here's what he said in, in the end of verse five. He said, and from these people, turn away from them. He didn't say have a casserole with them. He didn't say it's going to be okay. God loves you anyway. Amen. You know, there was a time that Paul had, they wrote Paul about a situation in the church in Corinth. And they said, we got a situation where we got a young man who's, who's having a relationship with his mother-in-law. Or relations with his mother-in-law. I mean, can I, I'll, that's the closest I want to get to that. What was Paul's advice? They said, rebuke him and get him out of the church. Because he's not repentant. If you leave that in the church, you leave that attitude in the church, and you let the seed of that girl in the church, he said, you'll get a harvest in the church. Get him out of the church until he repents. So they told him, you got to go. He got out. They said, you, you, you can't stay here. This is wrong. What, you, what you're doing is wrong. It's R-W-O-N-G. Or if you're from... Some parts of Alabama, Mississippi, it's R-O-N-G. Wrong. <laughs> right? Well, he was cast out. Paul said, Paul said, I'm going to pray that his spirit will be saved, but I'm giving his flesh over to the devil. Not to kill him, but this, this boy's not going to repent. He's got an attitude about it. He's in pride. He's mocking you. He's all, all these conditions and he won't repent. He says, so I'm going to turn his flesh over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, but that his spirit will be saved for the day of salvation. Well, obviously something happened because he's crying out for help. And he repented. And they weren't going to lay him back in church. Says, Paul said, no, now you're wrong again. He said, he's truly repented. He said, now is your brother. Go get him and help him. Restore him. You know, a lot of people don't get restored. The church just cast them out. 
I wonder what most churches would have done with King David if he wasn't king. And if you didn't know he was going to be king. Did you hear what David did? Yeah. We keep hearing it because you keep talking about it. Back in that day. Well, they saw an adulterer. God knew about it. He wasn't happy with it. It wasn't his plan. God wasn't surprised. They saw an adulterer and they saw a murderer. What did God say? God saw a king. His own words, he says, David is a man after all my heart, my own heart. And, and, and the, rest, the resume that he gave David that you read, I think it was in the book of Acts or Romans. He says, he said, this is a man who fulfill all of my, all of my word, all my will. Could, could you imagine the Lord saying that about you? This is the man whom I love, who, who will fulfill all of my will, all of my desire. Wow. Thank, aren't you glad that God looks at the heart? You know, he was talking about David when he was talking about that one, when David was just a teenager. When they went and anointed a king and, and David wasn't even in the lineup. How about that? Bring all your sons. God's going to come to anoint a king. David, you keep the sheep. We've got some kingdom minutes to do. He's out there, you know, they said he was, I guess he was redheaded, said he was fair and had freckles. He was a musician. He's a psalmist. He's out there writing some songs, you know. You know, it's like, I mean, he's just, I don't know. He was rocking. I don't know what he was doing. He's worshiping the Lord and fooling them few sheep. And the prophet came and he looked at every one of them over and the prophet didn't know. The prophet also was in the, in the sense of making decisions about what he saw. He thought, he thought certainly the first one was got to be him. Eliab's got to be him. He says, look at him. I mean, it, it, you know, just sizing him up, he says, this looks like a king. Eliab looks like the king. Man, he has the countenance and the stature of a king. The Lord said, That's, he's not the king. He said, I considered him, but I refused him. Really? The prophet's like, really? I mean, you know, so he, he just goes down the line. The Lord says, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. And, you know, after he got to the end, he says, I must have missed it. Let me go back. You know, Eliab, Lord, Eliab, Eliab, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. So he says, are, are all your sons here? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, not, well, yeah, but not really. There's, 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 I got this little runt down there in the wood. We'll go bring him up there. Well, well the runt was the king. The runt was a giant killer. <laughs> but he didn't look like no giant killer. <laughs> no one was calling this runt, red-haired, freckled boy down here, you know, singing these songs and writing Van, Van Halen songs, you know, with better lyrics. <laughs> you know, they wasn't calling him, you know, the king. Aren't you glad that God sees things in you that the world can't see? That sometimes you don't even see for yourself? That you dismiss yourself and disqualify yourself because you don't even see what God sees in you? You better watch how you size people up because you don't ever know what he's put in them and what he's doing in their life. Praise the Lord. I mean, that old statement says, man, this guy over here, he was country before country was cool. Well, you, you, you might be whatever you are before that, before it becomes cool. Amen. So he says, they have a form of godliness, but deny it. He says, from turn away. Well, that sounds terrible. You know why it is? You know why it sounds terrible? Because it is terrible. But God has a plan, even in the midst of these perilous times. And we should not lose heart. I want to tell you, don't lose heart. God has a plan. And he had it from the very beginning. 
He's not making up a plan. He's not adjusting to this day. He knew this day would be here. You, you could have been born in the 1300s. You could have been born B.C., before Coke. <laughs> before pizza was the hut, before you could have... Yeah, that's pretty good. Praise the Lord. Well, He chose you exactly at the right time. You're here to make history. You're history makers. That was real weak on y'all's part. <laughs> but before you make history, make your bed. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Put your clothes, dirty clothes in the hampers. And all the women said, Amen. Not close to it. Put them in the hamper. Amen. She doesn't want me washing mine. I'm like, I'm just helping you out. She says, but you just separate them. I says, well, I don't want to separate them. I'm just throwing, I'm just throwing them one bucket, you know. I mean, what's my decision? Warm, cold, hot. Put some soap in there. Go. I'm saving you a lot of time. You know, then I found out you don't put silk with denim. I didn't know about that. So, And a red shirt could turn a white, you know, a T-shirt, different color, so. I started listening a little bit better. Some. So the Lord has the plan. He has it for your life. What is the plan? He said his spirit shall rise upon you. Up within you. In the new covenant, not just upon you, but within you. And his glory shall be seen upon you. So I, I wrote this in my notes yesterday. I said, we are right now, Sunday, November 27th, 2022, living, breathing in the beginning of the third and great awakening. Revival fires are burning and his glory is in us and shall be displayed for the world to see. A few statistics recently come out said it's estimated that the body of Christ in China is increasing by over 10% every year. And before I see this, let me go back to something that Andrew Walt was talking about. The Lord says, so, so you're... You're, you're looking at what's going on in the world, and it's bad. It's dark. It's gross darkness. It is. The Lord's not even disagreeing with you. He said, but I'm telling you that, that the awakening has already begun. But you're not looking at the ankles. So it may not even be to the ankles. It might just be a few toes, or it could be to the ankles. It doesn't look like it's to the knees or to the loins or you know, to the waist. I know we're not actually swimming in it right now, right? But to say that, that something hasn't happened. Now, you understand when you say an awakening, you understand there's been two awakenings that we know of. Like I said, the 1700s and 1800s. This is something that goes around the world. This is not a four-day awakening. And when an awakening takes place in the nation, and, and when you go back and you uh, study this, and I know Andrew, he had on, you know, David and Tim um, Barton, you know, because they're, they're historians, church and, and otherwise. And, and like David said, he says, you know, most, most, when an awakening happens, it's because God is making, he's, he's preparing and he's fixing things that are in that, that century. Or he's, in other words, a great awakening lasts 40, sometimes it looks like to even 70 years, the effects of it. God comes and does something that, that'll last you know, a, a, a 70 years 
or more. And so there's been two great awakenings. And so when you don't, when, when you're just looking physically and you're, you're watching the news and you're seeing what's around you, um, everyone agrees there's gross darkness all around. You look at the condition of the church and you think, you know, what's, you know, what's going on with the church? What's going on with people? You know, how come, how come people don't want to come to church? How come they don't do this? How come they don't do that? How come they don't do that? You can go on and on and on and on and on and on. Well, the, the Lord already made provision for that. He's always had a remnant of people. And in you, he said, I'm going to, he said, it shall arise and it shall shine because, because of the gross darkness. That's all around you. And they'll come to your light. Kings and priests shall even come to your light. You go back and you read some of those prophetical words that I, still, I was referring to it when Wynn was here in 2014 or 15. And he, was, he, he and his wife were doing praise and worship right there in that corner on the stool. And they were singing and all of a sudden he had a prophetical song that lasted a few minutes. And I thought, wait a minute, I never heard that one. And I looked up and his wife, Gwenda, she wouldn't sing it. It was because it wasn't a song. And it was not, it wasn't just about here. It included us. He was singing it here. He's from Wales. He said, I, I want you to come to Wales. I want you to come stay for three weeks. He says, I, I, I live just a few minutes from where the Welsh revival took place. Just a few minutes. He said, I, I can show you all the history of whatever happened here. He said, in the Bible school they attended, where all these ministers came that went around the whole world. He says, I, I'm just minutes from all that. And so here he is prophesying through psalms, you know, singing, playing as, it, as, he, as he hears it, he's singing out the lyrics, not knowing one word he's going to say after the other. Part of those lyrics said, said uh, it, it talked about the light, and it says, kings and priests from high places shall come and they shall cast down their crowns before they, before their crown, they shall cast down their crowns on the ground before you. And he was talking about the state and the plan that God had for the state of Alabama and how God would move people from all over the world to the state of Alabama. Maybe they knew why they were coming. Not kind of like, you know, we could go, but why would we really go? And should we go? Like, does this make sense? I don't know, Ethel. Should we actually go here? Why would we go there? Huh? That's how it's happened everywhere. If you go back and hear, hear about some of the occurrences that took place at the Pensacola Revival, the people that moved there, the people that retired early, didn't even know why they were retiring early. That you had a revival was going to last for five years. Five years. You know, five years is a long time to have meetings five days a week, or is it five or six days a week? The revival went on. You realize what, 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 that, <laughs> what that does to a church staff? Can you imagine what the nursery was going to be like for five years? In children's church, can you imagine the resources that it would take to have a five-year revival? Did you know there was over, over a million people that were saved in Pensacola, Florida? Did you know that Paul Youngie Cho, he's in heaven now, years 
before that prophesied when he was in the United States teaching, he was in a hotel room and the Lord talked to him and showed him a great map in the spirit and it called him to a place that he didn't even know what Pensacola was. He had to go find it, you know, in a book somewhere. And he told some people, and he said, it didn't happen. He says, and he says, I told the Lord, I, I didn't want the spirit of prophecy. I told him for I had it. He said, I wanted to work. He said, I wanted the, the working of miracles and gifts of healings. And the Lord said, no, I'll give you the gift of prophecy. He said, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want that. He says, because when you prophesy things, then, you know, and you have a voice, you know, you have 800,000 people in your church and you say something, people listen to you. Sometimes. And so they kept on saying, uh, that revival that you talked about in the United States and Florida, it's never happened. What was the name of that city they called it? He said, Pensacola. Uh, there's nothing going on in Pensacola. He said, are you a false prophet? <laughs> he said, I know. He, and then he came to the church and preached there, you know, after it was going. He says, no one was as happy. I said, I know, he, he said, I, kn I know you're very happy. He says, that revival will take place in Pensacola. He says, no one more happy than me. <laughs> he says, they call me false prophet in Korea everywhere. <laughs> he says, but no more. <laughs> Five years. And when you, uh, and I know some of the miracles that took place uh, monetarily for that revival to go forward. Matter of fact, uh, the pastor was, was ministering. Kilpatrick, he was ministering on a local Pensacola station. And I, he didn't say exactly what the subject was, but people were listening. And he, says, and he said, I was downtown doing some business on Monday. And I, I called him and said, Pastor, um, are you sitting down? He said, no. He said, you might better sit down. He says, what for? He says, uh, the offering. They said, there's one check in here from a guy who's been watching you on TV, sent a check in for $100,000. He, he said, we were in debt. He said, I went, whoo-wee. He said, I'll be there in a little bit. He got there and he said, looked at the check and he said, he didn't know who the guy was. And uh, so he called and, you know, thanked him for helping the church and how, what a blessing that was. And he said, then I was preaching and he says, and I was on this series, it lasted 10 weeks. And every, every week, he said, next Monday I was out doing business because I'm doing my run around. He said, the office called and they said, uh, Pastor Kilpatrick, are you, are you sitting down? He says, no, why? He says, uh, you got another check in. He, he says, how much is it for? He said, $150,000. He said, woo-wee. Well, he had 10 woo-wees. So in, in 10, and so what happened is this guy had lost his uh, spouse and I, I and I don't know. I mean, it, it, I mean, I don't know who the guy. It doesn't really matter. But he told the story. So this guy is he's confused now. He's lost his wife. He doesn't want to be around his family. He's decided he might want to be in a different kind of relationship. You know, other than a wife. And he knows his kids never going to agree with it. He's just going to take his money and go live somewhere and never see anyone the rest of his life. But for 10 weeks, he's just sitting there watching John Kilpatrick at Pensacola before there is a revival. And, and he says, and he says, I'm going to watch every, every week. And when this is over, I'm going to make a decision. In the 10th week, he got saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, sitting in his house, watching Pastor John Kilpatrick <clears throat> just preach whatever he's preaching on, got saved and gave a million and a half dollars uh, to that church. They bought all the property around them. He said they were just a bunch of small, like, you know, shotgun homes. He said we paid them more for the house than what they could get, and then we moved all of them, leveled their houses to have a parking lot, put a sound system throughout the church. 
He said, and after it was all paid for, two weeks later, he said, it was June and it was Father's Day. And I told the staff, he says, you know, we got to get people in. We got to get them out. And he says, so let's, um, let's move along. And he says, we're going to bless people, but we got to move along. People's got plans. And he says, so we're going we're gonna to let out early today. Father's Day is when the father visited. And that revival, and no one left that day, and they was all on the floor for hours. And if you could get up and actually walk or drive, you was free to go. And from that day, <clears throat> it took five years for that revival to go forth. And God used a man who lost his wife, who was confused, and, thing, and was going to become a homosexual to finance the whole thing. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a whole lot of sense. That, that's how I'd have figured it for sure. <laughs> Amen. So, now is that the recipe to have a revival? Is that how you do it? Lord, send me some rich homosexuals. Or those considering it. <laughs> no, that's not how you do it. Well, the, the prophetical word had already went forth. You know, through others and Paul Young each Cho. So in China... It says that the body of Christ in China is increasing. This is current stats. In China is increasing by 10,000 or, or by 10% every year in China. That means every six and a half years, the size of the church in China doubles. China. You, you know where China is? You don't ever just take something that you own to have something to look at it and it says made in China. That, that's what I'm talking about. But everything's made in China, even the United States, I guess. So. At the current rate of growth, if continued at 6.6 years, the church in China doubles. At the current rate of growth, if continued, by 2030, there'll be 250 million Christians in China. We're a nation of what, about 330 or so? But in 2030, China is much more populated, but they'll have somewhere around 250 million Christians in China. Now, be honest with you, did, did you know that every six and a half years, I mean, I didn't, but did, did anyone here know that every six and a half years that those who profess to be Christians in China doubles every six and a half years? I, I didn't know that. So how do you know it's not ankle deep? We don't know what else is going on. We just see our world, what's around us. We just watch the news and say, it's bad, it's bad. We're just looking for the rapture. Get us out, get out, get out, get out. And then we, let's practice the rapture. <laughs> Maybe if I lose a little bit of weight, I said, Lord, I'll jump, you suck. <laughs> and we, we, you know, oh, rent's come up next Thursday, Lord. <laughs> Got a car payment. <laughs> but he's coming for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. He said he'll find faith in operation, not rapture practice jumping. <laughs> So this ought to give us great hope. You think about China in the midst of great turmoil because we have the greater one, not the lesser one in us. So I believe that a great harvest, a harvest greater than we've ever known is here. You are the invading army. You are not the pew warmers. This is not bingo morning. This is not, there's not going to be craft night. Uh, the church not being satisfied is a good thing. Being disgusted or frustrated can be a good thing. And I'm talking about with the status quo, because it qualifies you to take your place in the rank and the file of the end time army. 
If you remember, without going there, Acts 17, 6, they were really concerned about the reports because they heard Paul and Silas's ministry team was coming in Thessalonica. And they said, oh my gosh, this is terrible because they, they said, we hear that Paul and Silas and his team's on the outskirts of town. They're headed their way. And I said, well, what's the matter? He said, these men and these people have turned every city they went to upside down. Well, now it's, it's now they are upside down. Now we've got to turn right side back up. How about people talking about that now? I said, oh, no, they're on the way. The glory of cares. They're on, they're on the way. The revival nowers, they're on the way here. They're going to turn the city upside down or right side out or inside in. Huh? I'm just trying to tell you right now that it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. You know, they're talking about, like you watched, watched the weather, it said Tuesday, you know, you, you could have tornadoes or the potential for tornadoes, you know, in our state Tuesday. That's a meteorologist. Is that possible? Yeah, they're telling you what's coming Tuesday, so people will prepare for it. If if uh, whatever channel you watch, whether it's six, you know, with Mickey, crazy Mickey, fierce, uh, whatever his name is in the morning, or whoever it is, and if he told you that Alabama, Central Alabama, was going to have ice and snow and three inches of snow, you better get your bread today. <laughs> you better go buy it today, because if there's going to be a quarter of inch of snow on the ground in Alabama. I mean, we are immobilized. <laughs> I mean, I, I was just a kid coming from Detroit. I mean, I, I was first grade, you understand? But I was like, I said, she said, y'all not going to school? I said, why, Mom? She says, it's snowing. I said, I said, it is. She said, look. I said, well, that ain't snow. I mean, I, mean, I, I came from Detroit, right? I mean, that's, that's dangerous. That ain't snow. I mean, that's not, that's not snow. But I, I mean, that's like, so we get out of school for, for dangerous? She said, yep. <laughs> it's like... It's like <laughs> I love the South. Glory to God. I get out of school. <laughs> Dandruff is on the way. <laughs> what is revival? It's a divine invasion into the affairs of men. Mm. What is revival? It's like CPR for your spirit. The word means to bring back to life, or you could say new life back to you. When you have the abiding life of God in you, you have revival in you. It's in you, and it's burning. And if you let it out, it'll spread. It's just like natural fire. It, it will burn, and yet it can intensify. It will intensify based on the content and the size of what it has to consume. If you want to pour some pine straw on it, it's going to take off. If you want to pour some dry hay on it, wheat, it's going to, it's going to take off, right? Some loose papers... You know, it, it, it'll consume based on the content and the size of what it's consuming. The weather is a major factor, but it's still burning, whether it's cold, whether it's hot, whether it's wet, whether it's snowy, or whether it's icy. You can have a pilot lit, you know, whether it's a stove or a gas stove or a propane heater. It's lit, but it's not engaged. It might be at the ankles. It's lit, but maybe not fully engaged. But if when you light it and you engage it, if it's a propane heater on the wall, then it can heat a room and perhaps a whole house. You can start a fire in your, depending on where you live, you can start, you can say, well, we're going to burn off some of the backyard or the back property. We're going to get rid of some of the weeds and we're going to get rid of the briars. You can go into the, you know, to the back of the property, burn off some brush 
Or you could have one of the wildfires like in California that they have a year where it consumes hundreds or sometimes thousands of acres and even homes and claims lives. When fire gets out of control, it spreads and no one can stop it. Isaiah, God said, I'm going to do a work. And he said, who's going to stop me? Who's going to reverse me? He said, who, 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 will be able to, who will be able to hinder me? He said, is my arm so short that I can't save? Andrew was shocked. He was looking at the rest of us, the day that we live in. And he was, he was, he was so happy that maybe in his lifetime, he says, are you telling me that there before I, I leave this planet, that, that there will be coming a, a, a great awakening? He says, no, I didn't tell you that. He says, oh. And he was like, he said, I'm telling you, it's already begun. He says, he, he said, it, it rocked my world. It rocked my world when he told me that. David, when he came on the show a few days later, being a great historian, he says, you know, the great awakenings was not, was not given by church people. It was given by historians. They went back and they saw what happened, and, and they're the ones who called this a great awakening. It wasn't the local pastor or the priester or the priest or, the, the priest or whoever it was. It was, it was a historian that says this, this revolutionized the world. It was, a, it was an awakening that went around the world. And the Spirit of God has said and is saying to you today, it's already here. It's already here. <laughs> it's already here. It's on the way. It may be ankles deep. We don't even see it. But have you been looking for it? Psalms 85, 6 says, Will you revive us again that your people may recognize or may rejoice in you? Lord, will you revive us again? When you think of a revival, you might think of a faraway place or time. This is just my notes I wrote down yesterday. You might think of a faraway place or time like Azusa Street or Wales or the Toronto Revival or Brownsville. You might think of noted ministers of old, such as Charles Finney, Smith Wordsworth, John G. Lake, Amy Simple McPherson, Catherine Kuhn, Jack Coe, A. Allen, William Brandon, to name just a few. You know, no one knew these people was in the world. They didn't know who William Seymour was. They didn't know who William Seymour was until they did. No one knew them until they did. So that ought to encourage us. That revival starts with you, that you can have your own personal revival. Instead of waiting for something to come, you can let it burn in you. You can begin to do a self-examination in you. You can have a repentance yourself. You know what's wrong. You know what's right. You know what you're letting stay in your life every day. You can go to God and let the fire of God burn the dross out of your life until you have the, the character and the nature of God that, that, that not only do you stop doing what you are doing, which is wrong, but, but it repulses you. you you're, you're sickened by the, the very thing that, that is attracting you. That you get God's heart on it because you spend time in prayer in His presence to where it repulses you to even not even do it anymore, but to even say it ever happened. Isn't that how it begins? See, don't, don't misunderstand revival in the sense of like we need to be revived and, and, bunch of, and read a bunch of books about revival, which I've done and will do, and that's good. But see, you can just fall into that. will be our next study. We'll just study revivals past and present. Or, or we'll study what's going to happen because there's going to be great moves of God and healings and miracles. And so we, we, we need to begin to uh, remind ourselves, and we do, and we will, about you know, the gifts of the Spirit. 
That's where I was heading. The Lord said, you know, uh, don't. He, he, I said, well, I actually, I, I did a whole series on the gift spirit two times years ago. I have all the notes. He said, I don't want to use any of those notes. He said, you can look at them and burn them. Or he said, or you can just burn them. He said, he said I, I didn't even go back and look at them. But this was, you know, a decade ago. I mean, it's not that you hadn't mentioned it, but I'm talking about where you took week by week a 12-week series on it. You know what people start doing? They start, some of them, some of them won't do anything with it. Majority don't do anything with it. But some will like, he said, covered earnestly the gifts, right? Well, have, I mean, don't raise your hands, but if, but if you haven't prayed concerning the gift spirit in the last week or two weeks or three weeks, you're, you're not covered. Or, if you're not praying about it, you're not seeking God, you're not coveting anything. So why aren't there in operation? Well, you're not even praying towards that end. I'm going to say you, I'm just talking about in general. But what the Lord was reminding me of, he says, it's not, it's not that he, he said, because it'll turn people's attention on the gifts. And it's not, a, it's not, it's not a manifestation of the gifts. It's a manifestation of the spirit. You say, well, I don't have the, the gift of healing. No, you don't. Nobody else does. They're his gifts. But you have, do you have the Holy Ghost? Does he have all nine? So you're telling me you possess the one whom all nine, the administration, those gifts flow out of him, and you're telling me he's in you? So why would we put all of our focus and attention just on the gifts or just the fruit when you have, when you have him yourself? See, Christ in you message and finished work ought to report you to Him. Not just, you know, what you can do, but Him. Revival's about Him. And when you come in Him, He consumes you and everything that's not of Him. If, if, if you lay it on the altar, he, he will consume it. Now don't, and, and sometimes I'm going to tell you, you, you don't die in some things quickly. <laughs> It'd be really good if it happened that way. But some things that we participate in that we know is wrong or is not the best or at least it's not profitable, we don't always lay it down that fast. Some things we don't want to lay down. I smoked for 10 years, kind of enjoyed it. Till it didn't. I'm, and, and, and I did, I, I quit about 700 times. You know, I go for a month. Go and get some gas. There wasn't no zip cars back then. You had to go and buy, buy, you know, buy your gas. It was harder to, you know, steal gas and get in the car and go. I mean, you had to go and buy it. Sometimes you had to prepay it. And I hadn't smoked for a month or two, and I just like uh, twenty dollars and I was in pack of Marlboro. It's like in a lighter. If I just had the money from the lighters I bought, rebought, And, and I, I quit when Ronald Reagan was inaugurated on his second term. Last time I ever touched one. But sometimes the memory would come. You know, I, I'd go somewhere and I'd eat breakfast. I, I remember it had been like, you know, 10, 15 years, maybe 20 years. We were, some, we were somewhere in Mississippi. We were going to a meet somewhere. We stopped some little country, little, you know, places where the food's good. And all the old timers come there and they got their overalls, you know, they don't button them on the sides. You know, and it's like, you know, that's just too much. <laughs> and the guy got through eating, and, uh, you know, he didn't have any teeth. And he got up, and he said, uh, he's walking, you know, like this. And he says, 
All right, boy, I'm going to go outside. He said, y'all know me. I got a smoke right at, right at her. I ate. I was like, what at her? What's at her? He, he meant after. I got a smoke right at her. And I went outside. Don't know why I didn't. I mean, I, mean, I thought, but I didn't want to smoke. But I went by there, walked to the car. We was leaving. He's out there like this. And that smell took me back 25 years ago. And for a moment, I could have smoked a, a cigarette longer than that stage. <laughs> it's just like just, just in my flesh and in my mind, you know. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go buy one, but that was just kind of crazy how that happened. See, the flesh has a voice and it has a memory, but if you let the Holy Ghost have all that, and you, you you take it to the altar and you take it there day and the next day and the next day and the next day, He'll consume it because He is a consuming fire. Now He He, he won't kill you, but I'm talking about, but He'll kill that desire in you. But you, you know, people say, well, you know, I give the Lord, I, I laid my cigarettes down, I get, I'm going to give them to the Lord. Well, he don't smoke, so don't give them to him. So just, just, let him, just let him burn it all up. Just let him burn it all up. But he who knows to do right is not doing his sin. Just what it is. Just what it is. And that's, what, and that's where revival begins. We have a personal revival within ourselves. We have a personal revival in ourselves. We, we have to have a hunger and a thirst for God and for his righteousness. Amen. There's no, there's no such thing as an unholy spirit. Well, there is, but I'm just saying, but, but, but not, not from heaven, not from God. It's the Holy Spirit. God's a holy God. He's a righteous God. Amen. Every visitation that Brother Hagin, he had eight of them, where Jesus appeared to him, and almost every time he says he went to his feet, he just fell down prostrate at his feet. And Jesus had to tell him to get up. He said, I can't. He said, I put my hands like this across him. And he said, I put my head and put him on his feet. And the Lord said, get up. And he said, I can't, Lord. I can't even look at your face. I can't. He says, he says get up. I've come here to talk to you. He says, get up. He said, I'm not worthy. And he said, after a while, I made Jesus mad. He said, I said, stand up. He said, well, Lord, I'm not worthy to look at your face. He said, I said, stand up because my blood made you worthy. That's a, that's a whole different teaching. Right there. My blood made you worthy. He said, but your most natural reaction when holiness walks in the room, he does a quick inventory. He says, and you'll find yourself on the ground being with the Holy God. Well, so revival starts today. Finish right here. Your life is, is the ignition point. Your life is the ignition point of word revival. Leonard, Raven, Leonard Ravenhill, the, the great revivalist, says you never have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there is a fire. Likewise, if your church is on fire, you'll not have to advertise that the community will already know it. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, He said, enter into the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads us to destruction, and many bewitched go in there. But straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there that findeth it. So his words, Jesus' own words indicate there's a vast majority of people that end up their life, the, f the finality of it, into a godless eternity without him. A person can live and die all their life and live a natural life and, and go to hell to eternity, never knowing Jesus or fulfilling God's plan for their life. It wasn't God's will that they perish. It's not God's will that they don't know Him. It's not God's will that they have eternal damnation. 
Because Jesus died for the world, God so loved the world. He provided the perfect redemption. He has a glorious plan for each one of their lives. But they never chose him and they never chose the plan that he had for them. In something we call the great exchange is Romans 8, 27 and 8. It says the Holy Spirit searches your heart because he knows what's the mind of the Spirit. Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, who's called according to their purpose. The B part of that verse gets mentioned a whole lot without understanding the, the, the first part of that verse or the chapter in which it's written. Because all things don't work together for good, always. There's things that don't work together all the time. Yes, God's sovereign. He's sovereign within Genesis to the Revelation to the book of Maps, if you want to call it that. He's sovereign in His Word. But we have a part to play. We have choices. We have decisions that we're going to make or we won't make. What does it mean that the Spirit searches the heart? Whose heart is He talking about? He's talking about your heart. Why does the Holy Spirit search your heart? Because the Trinity is made up of three. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Who's on the earth today of the Trinity? The Holy Spirit. If he was there from the very beginning, and he was, then he knows the plan for everyone's life who's on the earth who's ever been here. The Holy Spirit was in the, I call it the, he was in the great boardroom. And he was there when your name came up and it was decided among the three when and where and to who you'd be born. He knows the very purpose and the plan for your life. What does the Holy Spirit do? Because he searches the heart because he knows the mind and the will and the purpose for God. He knows if you're on that path, if you're not the path. What's he doing as you give him your heart? He's taking everything that's in your heart that doesn't belong there that's keeping you from the path and the purpose of what you were created for. And as you're praying and you're giving your life to him and you're laying it down, as he takes those things out, he does the work in the heart and he puts the desires in the heart. The seed for the plan and the purpose and the will of God for your life. You can find the will of God for your life. Then you can follow the will of God for your life. And you can fulfill the will of God for your life. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us in our inability and our weakness, not knowing what to do. And then all things can work together for good. There's things that's not the devil stopping us. It's us stopping us. There's things that we have not died to. There's things that we're not willing to let go of. There's things that we're interested in that it's time to say goodbye to. There's people in your life that you need to love them and let them go. Paul's talking about Christians rather than go. If they live such a way, he used to have nothing to do with them. Get away. There's relationships in your life sometimes that can hurt you and destroy you. Doesn't mean that they won't turn around. Doesn't mean things can't change. But, but, but you've got, you got to run with the right people so that you think right. That you'll move, you'll move faster together with the right people. Ecclesiastes Solomon said, two's better than one. When you're with the right people for the right purpose, you will grow exponentially. But when you're with the wrong people, you'll lose ground so fast, you, you'll think that they're digging mud out from underneath your feet. Why do, you, why do we keep standing there? Why do we keep standing there? Why do faith people, why, why do they keep looking for all the change before they even believe God for it? You could preach revival and get about three, mm, 
There's no way you're telling me you've prayed about this, you know, for the last three months, 30 minutes or three hours a day. And then you hear something like this. It, 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 if any of us had been praying toward this end for three to four or five months, and I preach this today, you'd be sitting on the edge of your seat and you could say, Pastor, um, let me finish today. Because it would be burning in, in us so much that, that, that it'd be hard for us to sit still. Why is it not? Because we're not. How does it start? It starts by a decision. It just starts by someone. The whole world's just waiting on one leader. No one knew who Catherine Kuma was. Catherine Kuma wrote in her book, she says, I, I can tell you the day that Catherine Kuma died. She gives you the street address where she was walking in the street because she married someone she was never supposed to marry. And she knew she wasn't supposed to marry. And she, she called him Mr. She said, I love Mr. with all my heart. And I wanted to be with him. And the Lord told me not to marry him and I married him anyway. And she says, I was so far away from God and I had this call on my life that I wasn't even supposed to have. But she said, two people the Lord visited before me and they said, no, I won't do this. But she said, I will. And the Lord says, but you'll never do it with Mr. at your side. And she said, that's the day Catherine Kuhlman died. She said, I looked up and I was walking down my block and I looked up and she said, it was on so-and-so intersect street and she looked at the house and she said, that's the day Catherine Kuhlman died because I love Mr. with all of my heart. But that day I had to let him go. I repented for ever doing what I did. I was never supposed to marry him. He wanted nothing to do with this or the things of God or at all. He was never going to allow me to ever walk into the ministry, which I was called to do. She said, that's when I died. And they said, is that the worst death there is? She says, no, that's not the worst death that there is. Catherine Kuhn said, the worst death that I've ever experienced is she says, when I'm sitting in the, in the back of the, the auditorium and there's 10,000 people out there and like 8,500 of them are sick and dying. And they come here because they think the great Catherine Kuhn has an anointing to, that maybe they won't have to have a funeral. Maybe they won't have to bury me or they won't have to bury my loved ones. And she said, I'm just Catherine Kuhn. She said, I'm just a simple person with no gifts, no ability. She says, and, and, I, and they don't know it, but I know it. I know it. She says, before the security come gets me and brings me through the back hall and brings me out there where the, where the choir is going to be going like this. She says, before I step one step on the stage, she said, I die a thousand deaths. Because I know I have no ability within me to help anyone. You know, she comes out in her beautiful dresses, you know, and, and, and the sleeves, you know, it's like this, and it's all look glorious. But she said, I have nothing within me. She said, my greatest friend is the Holy Spirit. He's my greatest friend. And when people would say things and do things, she'd weep and she said, please don't grieve. She said, please don't hurt my best friend. Please, you see the relationship? She understood the gifts they operated in her ministry all the time. But she didn't talk about the gifts. She talked about the gift giver. It's nothing wrong with studying the gifts and understanding them, but, but, but don't just study the gifts because the manifestation of the Spirit is given. The Spirit. We put all of our attention on the gifts. But what about the manifestation of the Holy Ghost who gives the gifts? If He's with you, you can't fail. We knew I had a hard time with it in our last conversation. And I said, I love you with all my heart, and I, I, you're a man. It's like anybody else, but I respect you. He said, I know I already know what you're going to ask me. And I said, well, then good. It'll help me if you tell me before I ask you. He says, well, I'll tell you. 
He says, you have a hard time believing God's going to do something of the magnitude I told you from a place called Jemison, Alabama. And I says, that was it. I said, of what you just said? He says, it'll, it'll go around the world. And you have no indication. You can't point to it. Everything to the contrary says it'll go the other way. He said, you wanted to go other places? I said, I have. He said, you wanted to go to a larger city where it just felt better, more, more people like this. And we'd have the restaurants and the hotel. And the Lord told me one time, he says, if you want to go to two, up on 280, you can do it. If you want to go to Mount Brook, he said, I'll, and I, I never told you this. This was years ago. It was one last week. Years ago, but since we've been here. He said, if you want to go, if you want to go there on 280, he said, I'll bless you all that I can. He said, but it won't be my best for you. It won't be my plan for you. If you go there and the church doubles and triples and does things, he says, it'll be by your effort and I'll bless you all that I can. But if you'll be patient and you'll listen to me and you'll walk with me, he said, I'll do a work that will astound you and I'll do a work that everyone said, for God to do that here, he said, that has to be God. And uh, I decided to love Jemison more that week. <laughs> I rode all the way through the town in about 30 seconds. And I said, <laughs> I mean, we got two traffic lights with three banks. What do we need three banks in, in, in between two lights for? We got Peggy the Wiggy. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Doesn't, doesn't make any sense here. He said, there's a time that you'll deal with the, with the city. And he says, they won't, you won't come to them, they'll come to you. He says, to solve a financial problem that's, that's pretty large. A debt, the time will come. At that time, you'll be at a different place, and a different, you'll be at a different growth, and you'll, you'll, you'll have an answer for the city. And, I'll, and he says, and I'll draw people from, from, from everywhere. He said, but the church will be a hub church. People will fly in, they'll come to here, they'll learn, they'll teach. He said, just like the Bible school that you went to Rama, you learned things, but you didn't. He says, you, you came there to get the spirit of what's there. You know, Brother, Kagan, Brother Hagin said the purpose of Rama, although he said, we'll teach you a lot of things. He said, the purpose is if we fulfill our what we're supposed to fulfill here, he says, you'll leave here with the spirit of faith and know how to flow with the Holy Ghost. He says, just like you went to that school to get that spirit, he says, people will come. I'm not, I'm not trying to talk about mine, I'm just talking about what's, what's happening. He says, people will come from all over the world. He said, they'll come, they'll stay for a while, some will move. They might stay six months, might stay a year until they get the spirit of that, and then they'll take it back to their, their country, their nation, their state. Well, you can see that's working because we, I mean, we got the overflow room crowded this morning. Does that make any sense? No more than John Kilpatrick said, you know, the Lord's going to fund a revival, go around the world, you know, by a guy who just buried his wife and now is going to become homosexual. That makes a lot of sense. The great news is, and finished this morning, to say this is we can do it together. No one can do it by themselves. None of us can do it of ourselves. It's him. But I mean, this is not a, this is not a one job person. This is us together. And God has a plan and He has a purpose. And I'm probably doing a very poor job of saying, would you like to be involved or would you be involved? I'm asking you, would you like to be involved and would you help? It may not be always that convenient. Would you be willing to pray? Would you be willing just to set some time aside? Would you be willing to come? 
three of us prayed this morning in the back room. Mr. Bill, Matt and I, prayer's been going on here for months. It's available to anyone to come, but you got to be willing to come. You say, well, you know, that'll add 30 more minutes to my day. You're right, it will. Might add an hour. You live, a, you, you live 168 hours a week. In proportion to that, how much time actually belongs doing spiritual things. Not that much, is it? Not that much out of 168 hours a week. Not even the tithe. Hmm. You said, what will something like that cost me? Everything. That's why most people won't ever pay the price. It's going to cost you everything. If you want all that God has for you, it's going to cost you everything. You're going to attract devils, but you're going to have all God's help to help you. What are, what are revivals like? A real revival. They're messy. If you don't like to get your feet messy, you stay away from the cow farms and the, and the horse farms. You might get your fancy boots messed up. You can be a Hallmark cowboy. You get you some nice duds and walk around the city in them and just look like a, like a stud walking around. Right? But when you get down to work on something, I mean... I mean, if you're, if you I mean, look, Bill, do I look like a mechanic? Look at my fingernails. Is that, is that the fingernails of a mechanic? Why? No I ain't got no grease on them. <laughs> so I can't convince you of that, that I'm a, I'm a bona fide mechanic just like you. That's just part of being in it. If you're a surgeon, you know, whether you like or not, your hands are going to be in the intestines and guts all the time, Right? If you want to be a dentist, you want to run your hands up in people's mouths all day long. That don't sound that glorious, does it? That's what revival is. Uh, um, what's his name at Bethel? Um, Bill Johnson put out a uh, CD years ago. He's talking about revival. He says, he says, there's no such thing as poopless cows. <laughs> it's like, wow, what a title to a message. <laughs> there's, there's no such thing. So it's, so it's messy. Because when you send it, the devil's going to send people to, to, to your meetings. Amen. Well, they'll come. Praise the Lord. But see, most people want people just like them to come and be just like them. And call it revival. But they're not. So you, you have to have a love and compassion for people who aren't like you. You know, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not judging you or anyone uh, by that matter. And I'm not saying right, wrong, or indifferent, or you're going to, you know, whatever. But I, 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 personally, I personally don't want to do some things to my body. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't even mean it's wrong. I just don't. But I, I have friends who do, who, or, or I say acquaintances, and I know who they are. They don't want people in their church, you know, with, with tattoos and piercings and all that kind of stuff. Personally, I'm not going to get one next week. I'm not. It, it, don't, it doesn't, it, it, I have no pull on me to do that whatsoever. But if you have them, it don't bother me at all. But you're not going to have a revival because it's like a funnel. When you when you get ready to put oil in the car or whatever, the oil um, the funnel is what it's shaped like this, right? What's the end do you put oil in? 
That or the spout that goes down? The big end, why? It's, like, it's wider, right? It'd be harder to put it in the small end, right? Then you wouldn't be able to get to. And so people want to have a move of God and grow their church, and they, and they, and they got the funnel upside down. And they wonder why they can't catch anybody. Because they got to they fill, out, fill out an application survey before they get in the door in the parking lot. Have you ever? Are you? Oh, well, church down the street, brother. Church down the street. Here, we're Christians. Oh, really? Well, well, what would you think about Peter? And they said, well, do you know him? He said, I don't know him. That's, that's Jesus the Christ, the Messiah God. Yeah, yeah, we've seen you with him. Huh? No, not me. You know, why is he saying it? Because he's terrified they're going to get him too, right? I mean, that's why I said we, we all would have done it. I'd have done it. I would like to think I wouldn't have. But me na nailing me to a board, just don't, <laughs> real nails, right? Whips. And they says, yeah, we know you've seen, he's, he's with them. And he said, I don't know the blankety blank, 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 blank. The Lord loved him. Three times he come back and said, Peter, do you love me? <laughs> yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I told you I love you. Three times, what was he doing? He was reversing them words back three times. The Lord restored him, didn't he? How do you know? First Peter, second Peter. <laughs> right? What would Peter have to do? Turn the funnel around? No such thing as poopless cows. Amen? You're in revival. God bless you.